This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Traffic on the mean streets of Toronto and whether or not it's becoming too hellacious when we cited, you know, that 50 pedestrians and our cyclists have met uh, a tragic end in the city alone in this year, this last year. It's just uh, becoming a case of uh, you're taking your life into your hands. And now when the Toronto Police Services Board announcing that they've got uh, a project in place for traffic agent special constables, uh, seems like a good thing on the surface of it. I don't know if you bicker about the cost, $2.2 million over the uh, next year for 16 constables and three supervisors. But let's get the details as to what might be in play here as far as uh, addressing this with Vision 2.0, as the mayor has articulated it. Joining us on the line right now is Jessica Speaker. She's a spokesperson for Friends and Families for Safe Streets. Jessica, always a pleasure to have you on The Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for having me on. All right. Well, uh, what do you make of this proposal by the Toronto Police Services Board to greenlight this project of uh, traffic agent special constables? Good idea? I think it's a, a good idea. I mean, it... it um it's not as important for strictly road safety purposes as the other recent initiative that was announced where we're getting um, an extra four officers that are strictly dedicated to enforcing the big four driving offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are sort of two separate things that have just recently come out. So the more expensive one is the one that's dedicated to kind of keeping traffic flowing smoothly at very busy and congested intersections, right. which probably will have a slight safety benefit for all road users. But the one that could potentially make a bit of a bigger difference is the $1 million extra four officers at a time doing dedicated traffic enforcement. Yeah, that's two teams of four, and they're going to work day and night, Monday through Friday, right? All on overtime, no less. All on overtime and only between 6 a.m. and 8 p.m., so no enforcement in the overnight hours and no extra enforcement on weekends either. Why, why Why are they all on overtime? Because there is currently almost no staff in the Toronto Police Service that is exclusively dedicated to doing this kind of enforcement on the streets and having the daily visible presence that we used to have before the team was disbanded in about 2012. So how's that going to work, though, if you've got two teams of four working Mm -hmm. day and evening shifts are from, uh, as you say, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., where typically would they be situated or in what capacity? Right. So within the police board report that recently came out, they've got a very long list of streets and particular intersections where there have been high numbers of fatalities and collisions in the past. So the police would be focusing their enforcement on those areas, which have demonstrated to be extremely dangerous in the past. So I think that's where they're going to be allocating their resources on this list that they've published. What does that mean, though? They'll be, uh, you know, there to enforce uh, the laws. I mean, they're going to have a physical presence. They're going to be directing traffic or just sort of standing at the ready to ticket people. How do you see it? Um, I think that they're going to just be sort of visibly present and then looking for the big four offenses, which is aggressive driving, speeding, and distracted driving, and impaired driving. So they'll be on the lookout for all of these extremely dangerous behaviors and actually doing some enforcement on them. And we know from the police report that the all-time high, when the roads were the safest, that the police were issuing tickets. They were issuing about $700,000, sorry, 700,000 tickets per year. Now that's fallen into less than two-thirds. We get somewhere around $200,000, or sorry, 200,000 tickets issued every year. So there's been a dramatic decline in enforcement, and there's been a huge spike in crashes, and it turns out there's also been a huge spike in fatalities since the police um, stopped doing this type of enforcement. So there's been a real human cost on our streets. There's been extra people killed that probably wouldn't have been killed had the police maintained the former level of enforcement, and that's shattered families, and that's communities with holes ripped in them, and it's 
it's not acceptable. Well, it's understandable. Uh, obviously, this is never a good thing. But, you know, it's interesting because of the drop off in the number of tickets issued from 700,000 down to 200,000, that gap alone, a half a million tickets and the revenue that uh, has not been derived from that might actually pay for a bigger contingent of officers out there enforcing the laws on the streets. I'm sure it would, but my understanding is that the revenue from these tickets goes to the province and not the municipality, so the city is functionally passing on this revenue. It's not going into the city coffers, is my understanding of how that works. It can always be negotiated. But certainly. Okay. Certainly. The politicians, they can do what they want. But <laughs> Well, no, I mean, in the interests of public safety, I mean, look, the folks in Toronto, they vote provincially as well as municipally, so it only stands to reason. I'm sure they could reach some kind of a an agreement on that. Again, Jessica Speakers with a spokesperson for Friends and Families for Safe Streets, and that obviously is the ultimate goal. So we have these two different initiatives. I just wanted to stress that again, the uh, new traffic enforcement teams of four that are going to go out there, and uh, will they be patrols or are they going to be statically placed? I, I, I'm not totally sure on the details because they weren't really made clear in the report that I read, but I, I assume they'll be sort of dynamically moving around the city in the problem locations that have been identified. Right. And the problem locations, that's the interesting uh, part of the equation surrounding these traffic agent special constables who will actually be directing traffic in these heavy intersections like uh, Bay and Bloor, for example, or Bay and Front at rush hours. It just stands right. to reason, doesn't it? The lights alone are not doing a good enough job. And doesn't that say something about both the design of our street and driver behavior, that when there's a red light, drivers don't stop, and we need to have somebody doing this enforcement? And speeds are so high that when people are being struck by drivers, that the, the collision is fatal. You know, that's, that's the thing that something's out of control. But Jessica, Jessica, I mean, all you've got to do is observe, uh, not a long time, but a brief time, and you'll know pedestrians and cyclists are equally culpable. There's nobody that gets away scot-free in this equation. They're all... You know, you have bad actors in all realms. It's true, but if you look at the statistics, what is incontrovertibly clear is that there is only one group of people that is causing the fatalities. It turns out, and this is certainly counterintuitive, that this is not a situation where the blame is distributed 50-50 on all sides. What it is, is it turns out that is driver behavior that is primarily driving the crashes that cause fatalities on our streets. So the best way that we can target enforcement is to target dangerous driving behavior. This may be surprising to some people, but this is a cold, hard fact that our police statistics show us, that vulnerable road users are generally not at fault in crashes that are causing serious injuries or fatalities. It generally boils down to driver behavior and infrastructure design. Wow, uh, because, you know, there have been off times I've remarked to myself just, you know, uh, maybe you've got a clear intersection and you're turning right, and then suddenly somebody darts out and decides to cross or a cyclist comes up on your passenger side. And I'm thinking to myself, are they not cognizant of the fact that I've got a car and I'm going to win this uh, if it comes down to a crash? But, you know, and uh, that's my own frustration. Maybe that's anecdotal rather than what you're citing as data or uh, certain statistics. But I see that happening quite often uh, myself personally out there. It's experiential, if you want to call it that, in the street of Tor- in the streets of Toronto. So, uh all right, but you're saying it's all on the motorists or predominantly on the motorists. That's correct. That's what's borne out in the police statistics and in wider statistics from around the world is that tends to be the pattern. And it's we all see people on all modes of transportation doing things that are not ideal, 
but the the vulnerable road users are not generally the ones at fault when they are struck and seriously injured or killed. It's it's just a fact. Do you think there's something to recommend, say, uh, ticketing jaywalkers? No, in fact, jaywalking is not even an extant charge. That's not a crime. It's perfectly legal, and it's called crossing mid-block. It's true that you're supposed to wait for traffic to be clear to do it. However, if you're a senior and there's no crosswalk nearby, you don't really have a choice. You're not going to walk 400 meters out of your way, which could take a very long time, cross at the nearest intersection that has traffic lights, and then walk 400 meters back. That's not in human nature. And what that really boils down to is a deficiency in the design of the infrastructure. That infrastructure was built without recognition of the existence of vulnerable road users. Now, that's something that we can fix. It's not very hard to do, and it's not very expensive to do. So where we know that these desire lines for mid-block crossings exist, and that's easy to figure out. You just have to watch the street and see who's crossing where. Once you identify those, then you can remedy that and provide a safe crossing opportunity for people that doesn't currently exist but should currently exist. All right. So if you've got basically uh, six lanes of traffic, three in each direction, let's say on Lawrence Avenue East or in Mississauga, you know, uh, going up Mavis Road, and people want to cross mid-block because, to your point, the traffic lights uh, may be a quarter of a mile apart. Uh, You're saying a crosswalk ought to be implemented in those places? Yes, without reservation. And, in fact, that's something that's going to be a significant component of Vision Zero 2.0, and especially something that's very common that creates desire lines is TTC stops. Um, That's why Celeste Jones lost her life at the end of August in Scarborough. She was just crossing the street, a deadly, high-speed, extremely wide suburban arterial to get to the bus stop to go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can we can fix this issue. These people do not need to be dying, these sudden violent deaths that shatter a family. This is a lot about infrastructure design, and we know how to fix it. How about cyclists? Would you license them? Absolutely not. Um, that's been shown to be nothing but a black hole for taxpayer money. It doesn't accomplish the goal of improving cycling behavior. What does accomplish the goal of improving cycling behavior is building dedicated infrastructure for cyclists. So the driving behavior behind some of the squirrely behavior you might see is that the road infrastructure is extremely dangerous for these people. They're being routinely terrorized by drivers of motor vehicles, whether that's intentional or not. Things like close passing, being cut off by inattentive drivers. Um, And it's extremely scary. So sometimes people do funny things when they're terrified for their life because the infrastructure that they're on is not designed for them. All right. So, so, But if a cyclist blows through, say, a red light or a stop sign and hits a pedestrian, uh, who's mm -hmm. who's at fault? Well, the cyclist would be at fault, but the thing is that is an extraordinarily rare thing where cyclists are injuring pedestrians. It's vanishingly rare. It's really not the thing we need to focus on. What we need to focus on is the people who are getting struck and killed or seriously injured by drivers of motor vehicles. And again, that's an, primarily an issue of infrastructure design. Do you think some streets, major thoroughfares like a young street ought to be uh, eliminated, cars ought to be eliminated off that street, turn it into like a pedestrian mall? That would certainly improve road safety, and I'm sure that some people are going to be opposed to this, but um, it will make the street safer, it will activate the streetscape, it will be excellent for local businesses, and cars have got literally every other street on in Toronto that it's possible for them to drive on. So I think that turning over one section of Young Street to pedestrianization is a positive thing for this city. All right. Uh, we'll leave you on that note. I uh, hear where you're coming from. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You got it. Jessica Speaker again, friends and families for safe streets.
Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 